believe that uptown needs a lot more light bearers, a lot more kingdom people to declare and to demonstrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, uptown, if you don't know this, is about 70,000 people in that neighborhood. And there is very little gospel presence here. Very few gospel churches. So there's a need for the gospel. So again, if God places on your heart, not as a commitment right now, just a lean in. Come on uh, the 16th of this month at 7 p.m. in Uptown. Um, and just, just hear what God is up to. Um, hear how you can pray for us even, or maybe even partner with us in the future to plan the gospel of the kingdom. I'm excited to see what God does. And I'm excited to continue our First Corinthians series today. Uh, Jason did a phenomenal job last week, if you were here, tackling a really tough uh, issue of sexual immorality in the church of Corinth. And today we're going to continue the theme of it. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. If you've got a Bible, get a Bible app. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 will be in verses 1 through 9. Let me read the text for us. Paul writing to the church of Corinth. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's the parentheses, that's the Corinthian church writing that to Paul. Paul responds in verse 2, but because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has their own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do pray for me. Father, we need your help today. Glorify your name today. Um, open the word to us, Holy Spirit. Let us see what you have in this text. Jesus, send us out to be your witnesses and to live out this text in our day-to-day in whatever space you have called us. I need your help. Help me to, to clearly and boldly declare the word of God as I ought. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, one, one of the things we're going to see today is this, that you and me and everyone else are by nature reactionary beings, reactionary beings. We, we, we tend to swing the pendulum from one extreme to the other, right? I mean, we live in this culture that is really good at what the philosopher Will Ferrell, he's a philosopher, calls, well, that escalated quickly moments of life, right? I mean, some of you Bear fans think the first game the Bears won, you were like, Super Bowl's coming, Lombardi Trophy in Chicago is coming back, right? We just swing the peach and the pendulum so easily. And guys, listen, this isn't just a 2022 thing. This isn't just an American thing. This idea of reactionary extremes is part of the human dilemma. 
the text. There's an extreme reaction that we see here that something happens in the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago, and they bring this up to Paul. So what was it? Now as we move through the letter of 1 Corinthians, we see that over and over again, the ideologies of the culture have crept into the church of Corinth. And today we see this idea of Gnosticism had begun to shape the church of Corinth and how they viewed sexuality and marriage. Now if you don't know what Gnosticism is, it's the belief that matter is evil. And since matter was viewed as evil, that meant that the body itself was evil and didn't matter. To the Gnostic, okay, it was all about the soul. So what they did is they created this false dichotomy. They made this, this division between two things, between body and soul. Like a really good, a really simple way to put it is this. Soul good, body bad. And this belief system of Gnosticism had, had two main forms, and both were very extreme in their practice. The first one was this. Everything is permissible. Right? Sound familiar? We, we, we saw that last week in last week's text. This approach to Gnosticism is this. If the body doesn't matter, then anything I do with my body doesn't ultimately matter. Therefore, I am free. I'm free to do as I please, and this includes sexually. This is what many would call license, right? A license to live as I desire, because if God has saved my soul, then I'm good despite what I do with my body. And because of this belief, the church of Corinth had begun to be sexually active uh, to the point of sleeping with prostitutes, cheating on spouses, and engaging in various forms of sexuality that were, that were unhealthy and sinful. The mantra was, it feels good, and do it. And it had begun to corrupt the church of Corinth. So the Apostle Paul responded to this issue by reminding them that their bodies do matter. Right? Last week's text. That there is no dichotomy between the body and the soul, and therefore we are to glorify God with our bodies. That our bodies belong to the Lord. That our bodies become one flesh with whomever we sleep with. And that our bodies are the very dwelling place, the very temple of God's Spirit. And that God Himself came to earth and indwelt in a human body. Right? In Christ. And that He was resurrected in His body. And that one day you and I too will have resurrected bodies. In other words... Our bodies matter and what we do with them matter. Or to be really repetitive, matter matters. Right? So that was one, one form of extreme view of Gnosticism. Everything is permissible. The second one was this. Deny bodily pleasure. Like that's a pendulum swing, right? The second form of Gnosticism was called asceticism, Gnosticism. Like try saying that a few times straight, right? And in this form resulted in a very, very different extreme. It held right to the same basic belief that the soul is good and the body is bad, but the way they engaged with the body was very different from the one of license. This one was a very strict form of legalism. It was a denial of bodily pleasure. And we see it here in today's text, right? Look at verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, again, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, they had written back to him now. Right? There's a dialogue happening. 
He says, this is what you wrote. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. All right, the church of Corinth again had written to Paul. And we see here one of the, one of the beliefs that they're wrestling with. As a church, they, they were aware of all the sexual immorality that was happening in the culture and now in the church. And so the response to control it at this point was a form of extreme asceticism. The body is bad. Therefore, sex is bad. So no one should engage in sex. That's their takeaway. Right? And on one hand, I think we can be really empathetic to them. Right? To their, their response here. Because sexual immorality was wrecking families. Right? It was corrupting the church. It was a fire that was burning too hot and it seemed uncontrollable. It was resulting in a lot of bad fruit. So some within the Corinthian church decided to adopt this form of Gnosticism to control the temptation of sexual immorality. But listen, y'all. Listen. Adding one extreme to address another extreme isn't the answer. Again, how many times have we personally done this? Right? We see an extreme culture that causes fear in us, or we respond to someone who, who did something to hurt us, and we swing the pendulum to protect ourselves. And how many times have we seen this happen in the history of the church or in the culture around us? Like how many programs or theologies or ideologies have been created by humans in the name of reactionary response? And even deeper, how many people have been hurt or misled because of our reactionary responses that led to false dichotomies, unhealthy license, and legalistic extremes. So we can be empathetic. So, how then does Paul respond to it? They bring this up. How does Paul respond to it? He does this. He introduces a third way, an alternative option that aligns with the will of God. Right? Paul has actually two options here for the church to consider as they navigate this dilemma. The first one is this. As they wrestle with this idea of Gnosticism and allowing it to shape and form their lives, as they, as they try to respond to how do we deal with sexual immorality in the church and the culture, his first response, his first option for them to consider is this. Consider marriage. Right? You see it in verse 2? But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now the answer from Paul here actually flies in the face of both forms of Gnosticism. Right? On one hand, it's another reminder that sex was created by God as a good gift filled with purpose within the confines of one man and one woman in marriage. Right? That would cancel out all and any other forms of sexual interaction beyond the husband and wife relationship. And it definitely right, it goes against the grain of the culture that is sexually open and experimenting with many forms of sexuality. In fact, the emphasis here on one's own wife, you see that in the text, and one's own husband couldn't be clear. And on the other hand, it addresses the idea of a man should not have sexual relations with a woman. Paul's like, no, 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 listen, hold on. Like, pause, right? 
He's saying that's not the answer. That's not the most helpful response to the sexual immorality that has taken place. Paul says, yes, I, I agree that temptation is real. But no, the answer isn't forbidding sex altogether. It's marriage. It's something good that God has created since the very beginning, right? The twisted nature of us as humans is often to take what is good and make it bad, or what is bad and make it good. Right? The Corinthians said it is. You see it there? It is good. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And yet God says in Genesis 2 that it is good for a man not to be alone. Right? And that husband and wife are one flesh and are called to multiply and fill the earth with image bearers, which implies intimacy between husband and wife. So Paul says, yes, Corinthians, the temptation to sexual morality is real. But no, the answer isn't an extreme reaction to sleep with whomever. And no, the answer isn't to cancel sex altogether. It is sex rightly applied between husband and wife. Now, Paul doesn't just leave them there with that point blank answer, consider marriage, right? He gives them some depth here. He, he gives them some actual steps on what it looks like. He gives the Corinthians here two actual steps on how to navigate temptation through the means of marriage and intimacy. He says, in your marriage, number one, serve the other. In your marriage, serve the other. Look at verses three and four. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, because of what is said here by Paul, and because of where our culture is right now, and because of the history of abuse of men, I must spend some time here addressing something, okay? To be clear, marriage is not about lording it over the other, right? Which is a constant temptation just to fall to humanity. Instead, the original purpose and the redeemed purpose of marriage is to love and to serve one another in a way that reflects our God in whose image we were made, right? And yet, what Paul has to say here will, at least initially, will sound very foreign to our current culture, right? He says that a husband, that husbands and wives should give each other their marriage rights. And then he says that we don't have authority over our own bodies. No authority over our own bodies. I mean, this sounds like the current culture's worst nightmare heresy. Right? For honest. In a time where it's my body, my choice to read that a wife, even here, has no authority over her own body has to be rattling for some of us today. But hang with me, okay? Hang with me. Before we check out, we need to understand this, okay? The sentence. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. What actually, actually would have landed very well in the culture and time that Paul was writing this letter. In fact, this way of seeing women 
was practiced by both Jews and Gentiles alike. No one reading this initially in the original audience would have found this sentence to be off. And listen, that wasn't a good thing. Because it was one-sided, if you read it that way. Right? Because men often slept with whoever they wanted with no accountability, including temple prostitutes, and they often had mistresses. Men often saw women and their wives as inferior. It was accepted and normalized in the culture, and it was misogynistic. And unfortunately, this same culture that existed during Paul's time had, and, and this practice had begun to creep into the church of Corinth. And guys, listen, it has crept into the culture of America for years. Men have, for years, led the way in sexual morality and abuse. And as a culture, there is this constant push for an extreme individualism for both men and women. And listen, if men and women are seeing themselves as individuals who can do whatever they wish with their bodies, and if men and women are beginning to see themselves as superior relationships, then what hope do we have for unity and love and relationships and families and society? It would seem that society that lives out such extreme individualism would fragment and then eventually fall. And it seems that we are well on our way at times to that end. Like, how has this played out for us in America? Are our relationships, are our marriages, is our sexuality, is our society thriving? Now, thankfully, thankfully Paul doesn't just use that sentence in isolation. Amen? He uses a very important word in the text. You see it there. It's the word likewise. Likewise. He uses it twice. Man, this is a huge word for Paul in this text. Because if he just ended, just isolated the idea that wives' bodies belong to their husbands, he would have just put forward another unjust system that actually was no different than the surrounding culture he lived in. But no, he says something that would go against the way of the culture that he lived in and that goes against the culture that we live in. He calls husbands and wives to the same posture. Wives have the same rights, and wives have authority over their husbands' bodies as well. It's a dance. It's all about loving and serving the other. Like, what a reminder this is to us. Just as our bodies, right, are not our own, but they have been bought with a price by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? We saw that last week. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not just about our bodies. In a similar way here, our bodies are not our own, but they belong to our spouse. We are not merely two, but we are one. When we marry this, we leave our individual right at the door, and we enter into this one flesh relationship. We become one, sharing all things in common. We are truly, truly unified and equal, and yet our distinctions remain. And can we just own that this is hard to grasp in a culture that has fed us individualism? It's hard to grasp. And yet how deeply we need to consider this alternative way. And this way, again, is actually a posture. It's not a, this isn't a demand. This isn't meant to look like slavery or abuse or to be mis misused. 
It's, it's so easy for someone to take this out of context and to lord it over their spouse, isn't it? Men, can I just like say, like, we dare not do that? Do not misuse God's word for your own self-seeking pleasure. Do not say to your spouse, I have rights over you, and your body shall do this or that. That would be a simple application to this text. It would miss the aim entirely. Rather, this posture is an act of humility. It's an act of love. It's an act of purity. It's meant to serve the other. It's a giving posture, not a taking. Right? Just as Jesus right, gave his body for us in service to the point of death, this is the beauty and the aim of marriage. It is a remedy in a world of temptations and brokenness and selfishness. So Paul says, husband and wife, serve one another and live out your oneness together. And then he says this, stay consistent. Stay consistent. Look at verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This correction from Paul of do not deprive one another addresses the Corinthians call to deprive one another, right? Paul says, no, no, in your fight against temptation as husband and wife, serve one another and do so consistently. Again, the Gnostic belief that they had adopted was to fully deprive even the husband and wife of sexual relations. And Paul is telling them that, no, that will only stoke the fire of intimacy in you. It will tempt you to sin. He's like, that, that, that approach will not work. And it doesn't work. So rather, he says, husband and wife, give to one another and serve one another and do so often so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul's aware that time away, whether on a trip somewhere or even long gaps from intimacy while in the same room, will result in temptation for those who desire intimacy. And again, let me give this disclaimer. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not even Satan's fault for your and my lack of self-control. Paul says it's your lack. See the word your? So we got to own, right? We, we can't blame shifts here. It's so easy again, to take verses out of context and use them wrongly. Like if you're in a dry season of marriage, or if you aren't getting the intimacy you desire, you cannot use this text to blame your spouse and then go and find intimacy somewhere else. As James 1 says, but each person is tempted when they are allured and enticed by their own desires. The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, he says, my beloved brothers and sisters. The responsibility is fully on the person who is lacking self-control. But to help with what your spouse may lack, Mary comes in the room. Consider this. Consistency. It goes hand in hand with serving and loving. Paul coaches the Corinthians here by saying, keep the time away from each other limited. This is, this is Paul speaking as a marriage counselor. He says that there are times to refrain from intimacy, but those are unique times of devotion to prayer for a specific reason. 
right? Just as when they fast from food and, and, and fast and pray to seek God's presence or leading, so married couples may at times fast from intimacy for a limited time to pray and seek God's will. All right. So Paul's answer in redirection to the Corinthians dabbling with Gnosticism is this. There's his answer. Get married and serve one another consistently. Get married and serve one another consistently. And listen, man, this is going to take a lot of work, right? And a lot of reorientation as, again, it goes against the culture's way and our own selfishness. Like, none of us has this dialed in perfectly. Tons of room for grace. But this text does call us to lean into the wisdom and the way of God. Amen? Now, I think, I think that a natural question for many of us as we read this is, well, what about those who aren't married? Right? Here you are marriage, Paul, but what about those who aren't married? That's a good question. And Paul, who was actually single, will address this later in 1 Corinthians, and I think in about two weeks we'll be there. But for now, he says this in verses 6 to 9. Look at it. Now as a concession, not as a command to say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has their own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say, that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Alright, so, so Paul ends this section with a call to singleness and self-control. Right? That's why I say, I wish that all were as I myself am. It is good for them to remain single as I am. Right? We talked a lot about marriage, but, but listen. Singleness is a gift from God. Now, let, me, let me say it loud and clear. We're in the church. The church has had a lot of weird like, rules around this for whatever reason, a lot of culture around this, but singleness is a gift from God, right? Paul was single. Jesus was single. Man, I have friends all around the U.S. who are living a life of celibacy as single people, and they have devoted themselves fully and entirely to the mission of the kingdom. In fact, Paul, as a single person, planted churches, pastored many, made disciples, and he sacrificed his life to make Jesus known to thousands, if not millions, of people during his lifetime. Since he wasn't married, right, he didn't have the, his focus and his purpose divided between being a husband or dad, being all about planting churches to spread the gospel. He was all in on spreading the kingdom to the church planting. And listen, that's a blessing. And he recognizes this. He's like, if you are like me, meaning single, you too can give yourself fully to kingdom work and making disciples. Right? He's not like, hey, if you're single like me, you can play more video games. <laughs> He's not like, hey, if you're single like me, you can put more rooftop parties and put more money in yourself. It's not his aim. It's not his aim. He realizes that he's been given more free time than his married counterparts. And so he wants to encourage those who are unmarried to consider what it would look like, look like to use their time to be all in on kingdom. Listen, that may be some of you in this room today. You are called. And you have a gift from God to give yourself fully 
to Jesus and his kingdom. And for some, that may be a season of singleness, right? For others, that may be a lifetime of singleness with a single focus on kingdom work. We need you. Can I say that? We need you. You have a place here in this local church and in the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you're like, you're hearing this and you're like, all right, I see my purpose as a single person. But how do I navigate the temptation for me as a person that's unmarried? Here's one way. God wants to remind you today that just as married couples need the Holy Spirit to exhibit self-control, so do single people. Right? Self-control is actually mentioned twice in today's text. Right? Let's not forget here that self-control is given to us by the Holy Spirit. That we have access to it for in Christ. That the Spirit can bear the fruit of self-control in us. Now for some, you may have been given the gift of celibacy. This is what Paul had. That's a gift to abstain from marriage and sex altogether. And for some, you may be single for a season, but you may desire to be married someday. Paul says that's a good desire. As you wait, can I just give you three things as you wait? Number one, use the time. And listen, use the time that you have to be fully invested in the kingdom of the global church. God has given you a unique gift of time right now. Number two, lean into the power of the Holy Spirit for self-control. You're going to need it just like I need it. And number three, as Paul mentions, if you are burning with passion for sexual intimacy, if you desire to be married, begin to prayerfully in a community find a spouse who loves Jesus. Wherever you find yourself to, single or married, the call is that whatever gift God has given you, use it to glorify God and serve others. This is why Paul says, but each has their own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He's speaking there about marriage and singleness specifically. Which means if you are single, it is a gift. Use it to make much of God and use it to serve others. And if you are married, you've been given a gift. Use it to glorify God, use it to serve one another, and use it to serve others. This is the answer to our temptations and to a world that calls us to extremes. Paul reminds us that we are going to get pulled in all these different directions by these pendulum swinging reactions, and yet there is a better and an alternative way to be more forever. Now, as I close today, let me finish by highlighting two common lies we believe about sex. There's two common lies that we believe. There's lots of lies, but there's two common ones we believe about sex. And, and, and actually, listen, some, some of the deepest hurts, some of the deepest dysfunction and confusion we as humans experience actually come from these two lies. Number one, what's one of the lies that are common that we believe about sex? It's this. Sex is about us our desires. Like, this has been the narrative, y'all. This has been what has been sold to us. And listen, it's a cheap offering. And where even has it gotten us, this idea that sex is only about us and our desires? What fruit has this ideology borne in culture, in society, in our lives? The culture has pushed the narrative of sexual freedom, and yet it has only enslaved us further. This is why we see things like porn people raping others 
and adultery and abuse and abortion and neglect. All of these come from an individualized and me-first mentality around sex. When we put ourselves as the center, listen, everyone suffers. And our soul suffers. This is why a guy who can go get a girl pregnant and just bounce and leave her alone to raise a child. He does this because it's about him, not about her. Listen, sex is not only about you. Sex was created for your husband and wife as a way to procreate and fill the earth with the image bearers of God. Sex was created to be shared in loving union with your spouse and to serve your spouse. Paul redirects us well today through his thoughts on marriage. Listen, marriage is a direct response to the lie of sex is all about us and our desire. Marriage is a rebellious affront against the selfishness that tries to control you and me. Marriage says we refuse to bow to the selfishness in us that tempts us to live for us alone. And we say, no, we will live in the design God has for us. And we will serve our spouse and glorify God with our bodies. Amen? So that's one lie. Another common lie that we believe often is that sex is the highest gift. Right? Culture has highlighted sex in such a way that we have believed that there's nothing better on the planet than sex. We have believed that if we are not engaging with sex, we are truly missing out on life and we are incomplete. We have believed that if we hold off and wait for a spouse, that we are inferior to others. And we have believed that if we choose or are given the gift of celibacy, that we are not fully human. I said, why have we allowed sex to be the highest marker for purpose and meaning and joy? Can I just be honest with you right now? Sex isn't the highest gift in the world. It's a gift. It's a gift, but there are many gifts. It isn't the height, right? Our culture has placed it where it shouldn't be. It's smoke and mirrors. It isn't the greatest thing ever. There are so many great things to enjoy in life. And one of those things is a unique connection to our God. The one who made you. Listen, I've lived 43 years. Nothing is better. Nothing is better than walking with God and worshiping God and living out His purpose for us in the world. There's nothing better. What a dopamine hit. That's, that's the one. You were made for much more than sex. You were made for God. And listen, singleness is a direct response to this lie that sex is the highest gift. It's a rebellious response saying we will not roll over and succumb to what you feed us or you expect of us. No, we have found something much better than momentary pleasure. We have a God and we have so many other good gifts that He gives us that we get to walk in intimacy with Him and walk in His purpose for us daily. So church, may we follow the will his ways, so much freedom and health and beauty. He is designer, the designer of the body. He is the giver of all gifts. He is the one that shows us a better way to be human. And he is the one, listen, who has sacrificed everything 
his life and his body to serve us and save us. Listen, as we hear from the scripture today, maybe there's thoughts that popped up. Shame, failure, frustration, bleeding lies. We are reminded that there is one who came and lived a perfect sinless life in a body for you and I so that we don't have to carry the shame anymore. That we don't have to believe in lies anymore. That we can live in the right purpose God has for us now. That we can go to him and say, Jesus, take the lies, take the past, take the present, my future, and reorder it and reshape it. I give you, you were nailed to the cross, your body was broken for me for my brokenness. And now you've given me a freedom to live out a purpose, and I want to reorient it to your will and your way. Would you do that today, Jesus? Right? May this motivate us as we live out sexuality today and marriage and singleness, that we would do so with this in mind. Amen? Would you pray for me? Father, your word is beautiful. It is truth. It is grace. It reorients us every day we wake up and read it. It helps reorder us because we're so tempted. We're so, our default is to sway every day. We need you. We need one another. We need the Holy Spirit. Would you give us these gifts when we walk in it and would we be an example to the world in a different alternative way, the way of the kingdom? We point to the one who's, who's behind that king, the King Jesus, in our marriage, in our singleness, in whatever place you have us today. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name.